Welcome to Commonwealth Climate Talks with the League of Conservation Voters, an interview podcast seeking to highlight activists, organizers, and community leaders championing conservation and environmental justice. Today, I'd like to welcome on Andres Jimenez, the executive director at Green 2.0, to talk about his work holding the environmental movement accountable to promises for diversity, inclusion, and justice. Well, Andres, uh, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. Uh, you know, uh, really excited. You're you're probably the biggest guest that we've had so far, and uh, you, you're doing some amazing work out there. So I'm excited to have you on. Absolutely, just really excited to be on. Uh, Listen to your podcast before, and you're doing great stuff. And, and again, just uh, really excited to share kind of what Green 2.0 is doing, and, and have a great conversation today. Absolutely. Um, well, before we get necessarily into that, uh, I, I do like to start off with a little bit of a softball. Uh, so I know that you sit on the Fairfax City Planning Commission and, uh, you know, in, uh, you know, c- casual talks that we had before, you all, you're always talking about how much you love Virginia and its natural spaces. So uh, I wanted to start things off with asking you, what is your favorite urban green space in Virginia? Oh, that's a great question. I obviously... Uh have lots of them. And because I have two young daughters that we try to get out as much as possible and to get some fresh air and enjoy nature, uh, it's, it's the parks around us. And definitely, you know, we live in, in Mason District in Northern Virginia uh, in that area. And so taking them out to Mason Park has always been fantastic. There's tons of green space. You see the community coming together, having barbecues, picnics, playing with their kids. You know, there's swing sets. There's lots of you know, there's different ponds and there's just so much to do and so much to walk around and really get to enjoy nature with, with my family and watch the kids have a real good time, just kind of running around and being kids and and enjoying what Northern Virginia and Virginia have to offer when it comes to outdoor space. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, I, I know I would not have gotten through the past year and a half if it weren't for, uh, you know, Hampton Roads, many, many parks. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, some of the toughest times, obviously, are when it's cold and, and, and freezing outside and it's hard to really go out and take walks, enjoy nature, go to parks and really take in everything. So the moment it starts getting just the littlest bit nice out, you know, we're we're out the door and we're we're planning adventures and seeing how we can enjoy nature at its finest. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Uh, so what originally led you to environmental policy and environmental advocacy as kind of the focus of your career? Absolutely. I think you have to go back to kind of where I grew up. I grew up in West Virginia. I grew up in a time in an area where kids would run outside. We'd go outside and we would play in the woods and we'd take, you know, go on adventures and we'd wouldn't come home until it started getting dark out and our parents were calling us to come in for dinner. So we really got so much time outside. I grew up by the Potomac and being able to go fishing, being able to hike, being able to just explore and be kids outdoors really just gave me a passion and love for for our environment, for being outside and treasuring everything that, that we have. And so as I got through uh, a part of my career, which was working in Congress and then working for the city of New York, I knew that whatever next adventure I was going to have as far as my career, whatever next steps I was going to take, I wanted to make sure that I was passionate about the issue area and that it was something that would be helping others. 
So when I started at Ocean Conservancy, I worked on ocean acidification. I was working on fishery management issues across the nation. was very passionate and really was able to fulfill a lot of my childhood passions and, and really help, again, helping others, helping the environment, and really make sure that we were leaving behind a legacy for those coming behind us, for, for kids, for youth, for kids, um, for the next generation. I then went to Citizens Climate Lobby, where I worked on carbon pricing and climate change issues. And so, again, continuing that passion, continuing that work for the environment. And that all led me to Green 2.0, where I'm at today. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, Green 2.0, I guess, is in in a complicated situation in the environmental movement. Uh, it's it's pushing for uh, diversity, which is a, has historically been a, a pretty big issue. Uh, it's been a, you know, a pretty, pretty white space for a very long time until, you know, very recently. Uh, so uh, for the our audience that aren't like steeped in the demographics of, of Conservation Foundation NGOs, can you kind of give a quick breakdown of, uh, you know, ways in which the environmental movement has both succeeded and failed at solving this diversity problem over the past few decades? Absolutely. So where we've failed or where we've come up short is in finding diverse groups, leaders that are putting their message, their mission forward for the organization. So what we continue to see, what you just mentioned, is that for too long, the environmental space has been predominantly led by older white men. And what we're trying to do at Green 2.0 is we're trying to make the environmental movement, the environmental table, if you will, more diverse and have leadership at all levels and especially board members and senior staff coming from different backgrounds, from the communities of color where climate change impacts the most. Because until we have a more diverse group leading and running organizations, we're not going to be able to make the changes that we'd like to see. I'm all about not just change, I'm all about accelerated change. And so what we need to do is we need to push on organizations and foundations and say, we're not doing this quick enough. We're not diversifying who's working at these organizations, who's leading these organizations, and who is the voice of these organizations. It is critical that that change happens for many reasons, but a couple of the reasons are, one, if we really want to have an impact and a change in communities of color, if we want to have an impact and change for the diverse youth coming up who are passionate about environmental issues, we need to make those changes, those cultural changes, those changes at the very root and foundation of these organizations. We need to make sure that they're changing, that they're changing in the right direction, and that they're diverse. Now, those are some of the areas where, where organizations are falling short. What some organizations are doing that I see as, as hopeful um, what I see as success is that they're putting together diversity into their mission, into their strategic plan, that they're working with staff, working with volunteers, and working with members to make sure that they're diversifying, they're looking at retention, they're looking at training, they're looking at messaging, which is so important, and their hiring practices are changing. During our report card, 
last year, one of the things that we saw as a very positive sign is that 37 out of the 40 organizations that we conducted a survey on, on transparency, they, they were very high numbers. When 37 out of 40 organizations are being transparent and say, come look at what we're doing, come look at how we're changing as an organization, look at our hiring practices, that's great news. On the foundation front, unfortunately, we're not seeing that. 11 out of 40 foundations were transparent, and that doesn't equal success. And so there's lots of work to be done on the foundation front. There's still work and can always be more work done on the environmental front. And so we continue here at Green 2.0 to push that to say, don't stop now. Continue to make this a priority Continue to work on this because the stronger you are on these issues of diversity, the stronger that your organization will be in the future. And the more members and volunteers will look at you and say, this is a kind of place I want to invest my time in because you are making this a priority. This is critical work that needs to be done. And we cannot look the other way any longer. We need diverse staff at all levels, whether it's communication, vice presidents, presidents, finance. One of the things that we push at Green 2.0 and and constantly say is there needs to be a big cultural change within your organization. And that will not happen if you are only looking at hiring people of color for positions that are DEI positions, positions looking at, at diversity. You need to be hiring are a group of very talented, passionate people of color that can fill all sorts of different roles that will make your organization much stronger. Absolutely. Uh, and I, you know, the, the transparency report card that you all publish is, I mean, it's a great source of data. Uh, and it, you know, I, I do feel like it, it puts that pressure out there of, of, you know, being able to show, uh, you know, what organizations are committing to uh, their their uh, public push for environmental justice in their own home, and uh, who is maybe falling behind on that? Uh, I know uh, LCV is in there. We we are very transparent about it, and uh, have had I believe a uh, over the past you know four years uh, almost ten percent increase in um, the number of people of color that are full time staff. Uh, the senior staff and board members are not exactly on on uh, parity with that, uh, but you know that's we always going to be a way that we can keep improving. Uh, and I think that uh, you know an organization like Green Two putting that public pressure on people with with this uh, uh, this this report card is really really important to uh, to creating that change that needs to happen. Um, and do you think? I guess with the the kind of like troubling uh, information that uh, has come out about Audubon recently, uh, definitely shows the the absolute worst ways that uh, you know uh, uh, things can go at at a, at a company with, or at an organization with with a toxic work environment around race. Uh, do you you know how that situation went down? Uh, do you think that that is showing like real strides in change? Like I think about similar instances of, of, uh, uh, CEOs, you know, uh, coming under, under, you know, calls of, of racism or, or toxicity in other industries, uh, frequently, you know, uh, 
it becomes a, a big fight back and forth. Whereas uh, the the Audubon CEO in question uh, just uh, stepped down and resigned. Do you think that is really showing that yes, people uh, people are taking this seriously and committing to it? Well, let's take a step back. So you mentioned the report card. Let, let me give you a couple of facts, okay. and then we'll move on a little bit toward the toward your your question on Audubon. So just uh, to throw this out, so in our last report card. That was uh, 2020's report card. So full-time staff, on average, reporting organizations added six people of color and eight women to their staff between 2017 and 2020. Senior staff, so on average, reporting organizations added two people of color and two women to their senior staff between 2017 and 2020. And then on the board front, reporting organizations added, on average, one person of color and one woman to their board since 2017. So I think what we're what we're seeing is a trend that yes, organizations are doing better, but the higher up you get, the less people of color, the less diverse organizations are getting. And so while when it comes to full time staff, you're seeing the numbers go up again when you hit that senior staff, when you hit those board members. I mean, with board members, it's only one person of color and one woman. Um, added since 2017, you're not seeing that accelerated change there. And that's something that we absolutely need to continue to push. Um, To answer your second question around Audubon, Green 2.0 was actually the first organization to come out, put out a press release, really followed this story and what was happening very closely, as you can imagine. It is imperative that other organizations take a look at what happened with this organization, with Audubon and see it as a call to action and see it as a possibility to improve. When what happened with Audubon came out, you know, we looked at what was happening and we applauded the staff, both current and former staff who spoke up and spoke out on what was happening there. I can't tell you how many times I've spoken to different staff at different organizations that say, we don't want to come out or we don't want to step out because we don't want to be the only ones. We are afraid of retribution. We are afraid that we won't have support. When we see the staff at Audubon, current and former, coming out, being brave, and being able to talk about the issues of what's happened internally, which absolutely needed to happen, I believe that other organizations look at that and say, oh, one, I think staff say, maybe it's okay to speak out. Maybe it's okay to be talking about these issues and be big organizations, small, medium organizations are saying, well, we don't want that to happen to us. So we absolutely have to start taking this more seriously. We need to start listening to our staff, our volunteers and our member base, because if not, we're going to have the same issues that, as you mentioned, Audubon had with the consequence of having different leadership. Now, what we hope happens as time moves on and in all different organizations, leadership changes is we hope that organizations see this as an opportunity to put people of color, to put someone with a diverse background, to put someone who traditionally hasn't been at the helm or the leadership of the organization. We hope this is an opportunity for them to put someone in place there. And so we've not only called out organizations when it comes up in the media that they are 
doing something that isn't right, but we're also calling on these organizations and taking that moment to say, use this as a learning opportunity, use this as an opportunity to put someone at the helm in leadership that will represent the magnificent diversity of not only your staff, but also your volunteers and members. And yeah, hopefully as uh, uh, you all at Green 2.0 lead the way and and other organizations, uh, you know, feel uh, bolder, especially, you know, uh, lower level employees uh, feel like they can speak out, that they can point to, uh, you know, good and bad behavior uh, that, that, that'll help speed up this process of, of diversifying, you know, uh, uh, boards and senior staff. And, uh, you know, we can get people who uh, are from these frontline uh, environmental justice communities uh, in places of of power and leadership uh, to you know lead from the front that way, uh, and and you know we'll we'll make sure that the, the work that we're doing is equitable because it is being you know done by people who who have had to deal with it firsthand. Absolutely, and I think that one of the things that's been most helpful as we've worked on this issue is having partners that are there to help us work on our mission because we can't do this alone. We need the help of foundations. We need the help of organizations. And as you mentioned earlier, LCV has been a partner from the very beginning with Green 2.0. Your national chapters and your local chapters have all been fantastic. You know, we really credit not only the local leaders of LCV, but also uh, Gene Karpinski, the leader of LCV, the head of LCV, for having the courage early on to say, we are going to take this as a priority. This is a, this organization needs to make sure that it cares about its staff and its members. And we need to make sure that we are diverse as possible. Because going back to one of my original points, the more diversity you have in an organization, the faster you can move to make change. If you have the same voices and the same people leading the organizations, and there's no diversity there, you're not doing communities of color a favor, you're not doing the organization and its membership any favors. And so really coming out on this issue early on and making sure that it is a priority and that you are willing to stand up on these issues uh, really goes a long way. And having so many amazing partners uh, jumping on through the history of Green 2.0 and, and lots of them lately, it's been really great to see Others say, you're not in this fight alone. We're here to help. And we understand why it's a priority and why it's critical to work on these issues. Absolutely. So uh, there is, uh, you know, in addition to, you know, the the public outreach that you do to kind of like highlight these issues and the transparency report, uh, you will also do a lot of really interesting research. Um, and especially as someone who uh, comes from a managerial background and, and has really enjoyed the kind of like logistical side of of, you know, running an organization. Uh, I, I will say, uh, I, I got a little, it, it seems nerdy, but I really enjoyed reading the, the leaking talent report. Uh, I think it's, it's a really, really good illustration of, of, you know, pointing out things that can help with management practices because, uh, at the end of the day, you're always going to have less, uh, senior positions than you are going to have in the rest of your, your organization. Um, and it does point to a lot of things that, uh, you know, organizations and foundations do and don't do uh, that can, uh, you know, give people more agency and and want to be hired uh, uh, when it comes down to it. 
And one of the things that that uh, uh, report points to is uh, uh, the use of the development and evaluation aspects of uh, of of the the uh, you know DEP uh, philosophy for for management. Uh, so, what are things that organizations can do uh, to you know give uh, uh, employees um, you know agency and power within an organization through development and evaluation? That's a great question, and there's so much that can be done that doesn't happen at all organizations or even many. So I believe there's many things in place that organizations can be doing to help their employees feel valued. And in some of these are making sure that there is an openness when it comes to salaries, making sure that folks understand what the tiers are to be able to move up to the next level, that organizations are looking after the best interest of their employees and making sure that retention is something that they value. And so when you start looking at individual staff and you're saying to them, these are some of the things that we're doing, not only to promote the organization, but to promote you personally, to have your best interest in mind, to look at the organization's mission and be able to put some of these absolutely critical and important themes in there. When you put something in writing and when you structure an organization where staff knows coming in, okay, this is what I need to be doing. This is what these metrics are. This is your value system when it comes to retention, when it comes to promotion, when it comes to training, when it comes to mentorship. These are all things that organizations can be doing right from the get-go when you walk in the door to help not only new staff, but current staff feel valued, appreciated, and making sure that they are showing their values and their mission uh, up front. And I think it really does speak to, uh, there is an undercurrent in all of the work that Green 2.0 is doing that uh, focuses on open communication of transparency of, you know, uh, reporting on on you know your your employee diversity and encouraging uh you know uh, foundations and, and organizations to be clear about you know uh what what the the turnover turnover rate for promotions is and what what makes uh what they're looking for in a in a good organizer and what they they you know value as far as uh the work that they do um I know uh you know uh how things work at the League of Conservation Voters is completely different than how things work at the Surfrider Foundation. Uh, but those are two examples where, where you know, things are, are very clear about what those organizations value. Uh, and that does make, uh, you know, as a, as a, a organizer at LCV, it does make me feel like, uh, you know, I know what to expect and, and I, I don't feel like I'm going to waste my time because I, might chase a, a a metric that it turns out that nobody in above me cares about because people are clear about you know uh, what what they expect of us and uh, I feel like that's important to make you know uh, employees feel empowered to to pursue uh, projects that they feel are important uh, especially around environmental engagement. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that when again when you're giving employees new employees an opportunity to understand the organization and its values uh, when you're giving them an opportunity to have training, to talk about pay, when you're talking about what they're doing around promotions and their own priorities around diversity, 
leadership, around mentorship. Those are all things that really, I think, are exciting for new staff to know that an organization values them at that level, that values diversity within their organization. And I think it also makes membership and volunteers excited to know that they are spending their time with an organization that understands what's happening and is taking steps to be better, to change, to change culturally, to change at the foundation level, and to really make sure that part of their mission is incorporating these things. Yeah. And I, I think uh, the the value of, of including volunteers in these kinds of things is it can't be uh, stated enough. Uh, you know, it, it can be really like, I know when, when I used to volunteer, it could be pretty demoralizing to uh, go into a phone baking session and not know what is uh, a good session and what's a bad session or just, you know, uh, uh, it's hard to volunteer for an organization that doesn't make it clear why what you're doing is important, even if it comes down to, you know, some slightly boring statistical stuff. Uh, but, you know, we need to acknowledge that that volunteers are, are doing labor just as much as anybody else does. And, and they should be part of that conversation of of knowing where this organization is going and, and, and what what we value. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that if they, the volunteers and membership start seeing that organizations aren't talking about these issues, aren't laying out their, their plans around this, uh, they're going to go somewhere else and they're going to spend their, their money and their time looking at uh, what organizations do and, and how they can, you know, better spend their own time. Absolutely. Um, uh, one thing that does make me want to bring up, though, is, uh, and this is both in uh, uh, several of, of the reports that y'all have done, and is also just kind of common knowledge amongst uh, political organizers, uh, that the environmental movement doesn't have a lot of trust from uh, uh, people of color looking to to organize uh, professionally. And uh, it can be really great for, for when people do get hired or, or interviewed to have these things laid out so they, they know that that, uh, that organization is going to have uh, trust in them. Um, but a lot of uh, people of color have reported that they, they don't even consider the idea of working in an environmental-based organization because of the way that uh, the uh, uh, kind of pot seems poisoned from the, begin uh, the beginning. Uh, what are ways that, uh, you know, in addition to making, uh, you know, uh, uh, it transparent of, uh, you know, their, their values and, uh, uh, you know, the people they employ and, and, you know, what programs they're doing, what are other ways that, uh, you know, organizations can be better uh, to show that uh, it is worth it for, you know, um, an up and coming, uh, you know, person of color to actually think about the environment as a, as a zone that they can organize in. Organizations need to understand that they need, and not all, but probably most need to understand that the way they're doing things isn't going to equal trust. Organizations need to go into communities of color to ask and listen. Organizations can't go into a community and say, we're going to tell you what to do, how to do it. We're going to parachute in and solve your problems for you. The way organizations can learn and build trust from communities of color is that they need to go into these communities asking, what resources do you need? How can we be helpful? What do you need? What are your priorities? When we stop asking, then we're losing 
the ability to gain trust. When we go into communities, when organizations go into communities and say, this is how it's going to be done, those communities are closing their, their doors, their ears right away. So we need as an environmental movement, as an environmental organizations, we need to really change how we're going into these communities if the idea is to build trust. We can't continue to go into organizations or into communities and say, we need your leaders to sign on to a letter for us. We need your community to show up at an event for us. We need to actually listen and say, what can we be doing? Yeah, because it's it's such an important thing that, you know, if you if we walk into a community and say, hey, we're we're trying to get this legislation passed and here's how it can benefit you, we'll you're setting yourself up to ignore the work that that community might even already be doing uh, for, for their own community, for their own lives. And if we don't ask first, you know, uh, what is important to you? How can we help? Then we'll completely ignore probably years of work that they've already done for themselves. <laughs> Absolutely. And these communities, like you just said, Colin, these communities have been working on these issues. They care. It's impacting them. They're the ones at the end of the day that are impacted uh, so much by health issues, housing issues, everything around transportation and immigration that all also leads back to issues around climate change. And so to think that these communities aren't already knowledgeable and working on, working on this is incorrect. We don't need to go in with a lesson book or a history history plan. We need to be asking what resources do you need so we can be partners, and we can collaborate on this work. Not that we're here to take it over, not that we're here to tell you what to do. We need to be a resource for these communities. And that uh, it all circles back to, you know, the the big purpose of Green 2.0 on diversifying workplaces and uh, getting getting uh, more diverse and, and, and a wider spectrum of people into those leadership positions uh, on boards and in senior staff. Because, you know, like you say, uh, we can't just parachute into a community and it's much easier to not feel like you're parachuting into a community when you have people who live in that community that are a part of your organization too. (laughs) Absolutely. And we need to be looking at organizations that are national and are local and we need to be taking these issues as a priority because it impacts everyone. And so we need to make sure that we're taking the time to listen, taking the time to partner, taking the time to collaborate, but also making sure that internally organizations are diverse and have the voices of these communities that we're trying to help because it's imperative to have their voice, not someone who hasn't lived through these times, lived in these communities and say, we know what's best for these communities when you don't have anyone representing them. So it's absolutely critical that we diversify the environmental issues, environmental organizations, and that we don't wait to do it 10 years from now, that we're actually doing it right now. Well, I can't think of a better note to go out on. The last thing I I might say is, you know, it'd be great for your listeners to go to diversegreen.org and learn more about our reports and learn more about the work that we're doing. There's lots of ways that folks can help. One of the biggest ways is to use social media to retweet and resend our reports, use Facebook and LinkedIn and all of those things that we're on, all the social media platforms to learn more about us. And every time we have a report or we have an event, 
not only would we love to see your listeners there, but we'd love to to have them share it uh, widely as well. Absolutely. Uh, we will uh, definitely be including um, uh, definitely links to all the reports and your social media in the in the show notes for the episode and uh, highly, highly recommend uh, anybody listening to go and check those out. Uh, they are remarkably well-written. Uh, it's, you know, for being reports that are about, uh, you know, staffing numbers and retention and that kind of stuff. They're, they're honestly like a very easy read. Uh, very few, one of the few enjoyable financial reports I've ever read in my life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's so, great. Yeah, and, I, uh, and, and I will say, and I will say, Colin, um, your listeners can expect more reports. We have one coming out in July. We have our report card coming out uh, in November. And so there'll be lots of new material coming out throughout the year. And we're always doing lots of events that we put up on our webpage that your listeners can attend and come to. Uh, we'd love to have, to have everyone attend. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show, Andres. Uh, I will definitely be pushing everyone I know to engage more with Green 2.0 uh, because it is really important work and we uh, you know, can't do it fast enough. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Totally agree. Yeah. Uh, well, again, thank you for coming on the show. And uh, yeah, uh, have, a, have a wonderful rest of your day. <laughs> I will. And thanks so much for having Green 2.0 and myself on your, on your podcast. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed our discussion today. If you want to check out more of Green 2.0's work, you can go to their website at diversegreen.org. And today we're asking listeners to post Green 2.0's transparency scorecard on social media to encourage environmental foundations and organizations to diversify their leadership and be more transparent both about their values and practices. You can find a link to that as well as their social media and upcoming events in the show notes. You can check out VALCV.org for more info and for more up-to-date climate actions. Our theme music is by Andrew Giotto, and our podcast is produced by me, Colin. Anyways, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day, and have a great week.